0: Welcome, everyone, to Unsafe Space. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you want to support the show, you can go to unsafespace.com and find a bunch of ways to do that. Today, Carrie and I are pleased to be speaking with David Raboy. Uh, David is the president of Strategic Improvisation, a communications company focused on developing and executing impactful and flexible strategies for a variety of clients in the national security world. Over the last decade, He's created and grown dozens of websites and online publishing platforms, as well as run public policy and communications campaigns with budgets in the millions of dollars. As a subject matter expert, he works at the intersection of communications and policy, specializing in Sunni Islamist movements and political philosophy. He has ghostwritten or contributed to several books on the Muslim Brotherhood. He received a B.A. from George Washington University in international affairs with a concentration in the history of the Cold War. He's a Claremont Institute Lincoln Fellow, and his work appears in the Federalist, Claremont Review of Books, The Washington Times, American Greatness, National Review, The Jewish Journal, Human Events, The American Mind, Red State, and PJ Media. He lives in Miami Beach, and you can find him on Twitter at Dave Raboy, and we will put links to uh, his Twitter and other stuff in the show notes below. David, welcome to Unsafe Space. Thank you for joining Great to be here. Thank
1: you. David, you are one of the more interesting people, I have to say, that I've met on Twitter. As I started to look at your bio and all the things you've done, I say interesting specifically because for me, a lot of what you do is so far outside the realm of what I know about or understand (laughs) that there's a lot to read and to dive into. So uh, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show and talk a little bit about
2: Thank you. It's it's my pleasure. i it's, it's flattering. I saw you on um, on Tim Pool's show, and oh. you we're so sensible. And I was like, okay, you know, it's it's uh, it's 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 nice to uh, to be able to follow someone uh, on Twitter and to strike up a dialogue with someone um, who is so sensible and um, you know with whom we can have a hopefully have a great conversation.
1: Cool. So I wanted to start with. If Carter's okay with this, Carter, I wanted to start with a piece you just wrote, because as we're bearing down on the election, um, being someone who has left the more radical elements of the left, I guess I would say, or the radical ideology of the left, and kind of watching how it's been ramping up as, as 2020 approached, I'm pretty worried about what's going to happen on election day. And I think Carter is too. And you just wrote a piece about it, um, which is entitled, we can link it in uh, below, but the title is the Antifa industry at work. And you wrote this in American greatness. And it's a little bit about sort of a preview of what we can ex- expect from the left after the election. Can you tell people a little bit about this piece?
2: Sure. Um, what um what we wanted to do was to explain that I think a lot of people, especially folks on the right, have this idea, um, people who are, live in the middle of the country or who haven't really been proximate to the radical left, um, they have this idea that it's just a bunch of young bums um, living in their parents' basements, booking things and and you know running amok in the streets like you know, like, like, uh, like crazy people. Um, the truth is that what you're seeing in that kind of in those displays of violence is really just the tip of the spear of an entire industry that is very well-funded, that is very deeply deeply serious about pedagogy and about, um, about methodology in, in, you know, what they kind of refer to as organizing. Um, and, I came into this because I was in, you know, in my kind of prior uh, incarnation, I was a jazz musician. I lived in in New York City uh, in the Lower East Side, and and I would encounter some of these people. You know, I would play with play music with some of these people, but but even more, I mean, I played um, regularly at a place called the Brecht Forum in New York, named after the playwright Bertolt Brecht the you know famous uh communist and this place was an organizing mecca i mean if you google it i'm sure i'm sure it still exists i think it's on like um, um i think it's on like uh 26th street 25th street something like that um just uh just west of 5th avenue and um and it was it was a loft that was where all of lefty organizing communist organizing in 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 new york would take place and it was a meeting hall and and a and a place like this i mean think of it like uh you know your local knights of columbus but for communists <laughs> and you would see and and you know hey the, the music they had was great it was fantastic <laughs> um but but i used to go in and i would and i would kind of look around and um and there was, there was one other, um, one other day I went in to use the bathroom at a, at a kind of Tibetan incense shop in, in the Lower East Side. And and I walk in and it's all these people making the most blood curdling anti-Semitic, um, uh, anti-Israel posters. And they're talking about, you know, they're talking about the Jews and they're talking about the right of return and, 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 um, And some of these things and, you know, as as someone who has always been, you know, who is who is uh, uh, Jewish, who's always been a conservative and who's always been a Zionist. I was looking and like, you know, this is the stuff that you would see on TV, on CNN being shown on the other side of the world. But we have you know, we have this in New York Um, when I lived in San Francisco, uh, I went to a party. Uh, at uh, you know, at, at some space, and and I went looking for the bathroom. I opened a door, and there was a massive room full of the um the George Bush and Donald Rumsfeld puppets that they used to go and uh, you know, in San Francisco, they had Iraq war protests all the time. And they had these massive, like car sized puppets, you know, inflatable um you know balloons you know George Bush with the with the um, the Dracula teeth and the blood and, and 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 all this stuff and and I was getting an education I was just looking around and and to me it was it was shocking how I mean by all accounts I mean by all accounts um, let's say the, the most generous I could be is that their pol- their politics was way out of the mainstream and considered you know highly radical at the time in the United States at the States. time at at the time that politics is exactly the poli- the politics of San Francisco that I encountered in New York City, but really San Francisco and Berkeley that that I encountered back in in the early two thousands is is what we're dealing with on a um, uh, on a kind of mainstream level um, right now.
1: I want to so, jump in there just yeah, for a second and say yeah. that has been completely my experience when yeah. I was when I was pushing wokeness. It it was just in those I was in probably some of those circles that was doing Mm. the puppet theater. I was at all the protests, but my ideology was sort of relegated to the radical, um, academic kind of world or the art artsy kind of world. And it it certainly wasn't mainstream. And in the past two years, it's, I think it's ramped up a lot and especially in the past six months or so. And, and now it's, I see it Carter. I talk about this all the time. So it corporations are speaking it they're speaking the words mm-hmm. all of our corporations right. uh media so you know social media legacy media both but it's everywhere now and i never could have imagined it the old version of me would probably be ecstatic <laughs> i'm not it's not exactly how i'm feeling about it right now but yeah i think right. i think you really hit the nail on the head there and there was something else you said you said that conservatives seem to have an idea of antifa types or whatever being these young losers yeah basement dwelling that's an outdated idea that's an idea from the like john stewart days you know it's sort of people that are stuck in the 90s or early 2000s right uh
2: i was uh i was listening to uh uh, um actually my my co-writer on on this piece kyle scheidler who's who's probably you know the um uh, he testified in Congress on on antifa as as an antifa expert. Um, and uh, and he was he made a point that what we're seeing now is kind of, especially with the, around the election, we're seeing the last gasp of the boomer radicals. And we're talking about a small group, small. I mean, what small is in the thousands or the tens of thousands, but uh, a, a group of radicals who came up through SDS, They came up through, you know, um, uh, they were they were in organizing. They were in, you know, kind of semi-violent groups in the early 70s. By the mid to late 70s, they transitioned already into uh, um, uh, teaching schools or places like the Northwest Academy, um, where you know they became they basically became Bill Ayers, which is you know Bill Ayers is like the most celebrated. a uh, theorist of of education um, uh, t- today, and and he's a, he's an academic, and um, but they always kept their foot in in um, in, in in sort of uh, direct action, and so you see the same people. I mean, the, just the other night, I was watching someone had had surreptitiously recorded um, a three hour um, lecture Zoom thing with Lisa Fithian. I don't know if when you you were on the left, if you ran into her, but she's another one, you know, aging boomer, who is a veteran of um, every possible protest movement you can think of. And these people are dead serious and they sit and they they write books about organizing. Um, Many of them work for unions for for you know large large labor unions, we're not talking about the union membership. We're talking about the the you know the, the people who, who who work there. And the other component that is kind of new is probably the last uh, you know 15 years or so is the fact that you have professional PR firms, like let's say. Um, uh, you know, small to mid-sized firms of, you know, I don't know, ten people, maybe even twenty people, budgets in, you know, five ten million dollars, and they are getting money in order to help amplify these radical voices. So that's something new. That's something that uh, that's a, a kind of new ingredient that that was not in the uh, the left's toolkit way back when. I mean, I'm sure when you were out there, you were protesting the war, you were involved in this, um, you know, people were doing, uh, you know, people were, people were just doing this on the fly. You know, they were calling journalists, they were asking, you know, this and that. Now we have PR shops that are dedicated to to doing this. And it, and it feeds right into, I mean, you, you just mentioned the companies, the companies are giving to some of these, uh, some of these nonprofits the nonprofits are are you know siphoning the larger foundation nonprofits are siphoning the money off to the smaller groups one of these groups or many of these groups are these PR firms I mean where do you think you know if if, uh, if somebody gives 10 million dollars to BLM where does that go you know that doesn't go necessarily all to buy um, you know bricks and 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 you know, <laughs> Uh, implements to 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 throw and break things. It also buys PR firms. you know it buys people who have relationships with reporters. it buys reporters. Um, and uh, and it's a it's a massive infrastructure that, let's say the right doesn't have. So to throw it to end f- by throwing it back at you as someone who left the left, how does it feel come like I think of sort of the most celebrated book about a Political Transition, I think, is Witness, the Whitaker Chambers book.
1: I don't know that book. About,
2: yeah, it's the most, um, it's kind of maybe the most famous book of um, of the Cold War. And it was Whitaker Chambers, who was Time magazine editor, he used to be a communist, and decides to leave. And really, it was a kind of um, religious awakening that he had. Together with the fact that, you know, he came out against communism and and he was really very, very deeply hated. And he wrote a, an autobiography about this particular transition that he made called Witness mm-hmm. that was Ronald Reagan's favorite book. And it was kind of, you know, a lot of people read it. It was a bestseller. Um, and it's a sad book because on one hand, he realizes that. You know, he's glad that he left. The left he's glad that he left communism which at that time was cpusa which like you know before the new left it was they really had their 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 hands on your throat but on the other hand he was firmly convinced that the west will lose wow so the book is dealing with these two conflicting things he's like you know i i had to uh you know it's 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 like going and and you know switching sides and that knowing that the side you're switching to is is pretty much doomed. And so that was my question for you It's like do you feel like Whittaker Chambers or do you because we're in a situation where you've got you know, um, you've got <laughs> t- you've got a lot of uh, of forces arrayed against us.
1: Yes. Well, Carter was never on the radical left like I was, but I guess he would be a Whitaker Chambers in terms of you're a little bit more convinced that the West is doomed, that we can save elements of it, but not the United States. Is that right, Carter, or am I putting words in your mouth?
0: Yeah, I, th- I would say that the United States was killed a long time ago, and we just don't know it yet.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with Carter on that. I do I guess I maintain a hope that... What's well, interesting you say, Whit- Whitaker, that he also had a religious awakening, because leaving the SJW left coincided with this spiritual or god-seeking awakening in me as well those two things were happening almost simultaneously and i think probably because of my belief in god it gives me this sense of hope or uh i just kind of feel like there's this bigger there's politics and there's what's happening in the u.s but there's this bigger story that's playing out that makes me feel kind of like rest easy, even even when my rational right. mind tells me not to. <laughs> like,
3: right.
1: My my heart says it's okay, and I guess an atheist might say, "Well, that's just something well, comforting." Well, I, I should clarify. <laughs> I don't.
0: I don't think the West is dead. I think the United States, in its current incar- incarnation, is dead. Right. So I don't think the ideas of Western civilization are dead, because there are still right. a lot of people who hold those ideas true, and I think would be willing to sacrifice something in order to make those ideas continue in some fashion but do i see a united states in which we change direction we've never changed direction in my entire life we've always been marching to the left do i see suddenly the united states oh hey let's go back to small government that was a great idea no i don't and i think you'd have to be smoking something pretty strong to think that's going to happen
2: so have you read Michael Anton's um new book called The Snakes? Or have uh, you heard about it?
0: I haven't. I've read I read his Flight 93 uh essay, which I thought was spot on in many ways, and um and kind of I captured would, what why I, I voted for Trump actually. Um mm-hmm. but
2: I would recommend checking that book out. Because that what you just articulated is is his basic thesis. and but he go he goes, you know, obviously it's it's at book, book length, but it's very, very well written um, uh, argument along along those precise lines and and it's and it's a point of view that I share. So I think we're we're, you know, at least uh, you know we're two of us in agreement here about
1: uh, yeah, about the I future mean- of the United States. I don't know. It depends on a day-to-day basis, David, honestly. Mm. Some days I feel more pessimistic and other days I feel more optimistic. But I do definitely think we're probably heading towards some type of... Like, I think the only thing that could bring us together right now as Americans would be something awful, unfortunately. Something awful. You
2: think think there is something um, awful that would bring everyone together as opposed to break it apart in a, in a final way i can't imagine anything that would break us that would bring us together i mean let if nine eleven happened today there's 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 no way of uh wow.
1: you know, okay that's because that's what i, was I mean sort of that's my of. i mean i
2: mean that's that's uh that, that's my opinion i mean look at what happened there's nothing that won't be politicized today look at what happened during with the with the virus um i think by any by any stretch it was a new situation an unprecedented situation that you know frankly i mean did trump do what i would have liked him to do no um do i blame him all that much not really because he was really flying blind you know any any um any criticism from democrats about the virus, I think, is just stupid and disingenuous because they haven't, you know, at all times they wanted him to do more of what he did that was bad, and you know, and and they don't really have a they don't really have a point. But but still, because we're in a world where it's all a partisanship all the time, um, you know, even that is politicized, even that yeah. is used to an advantage. You know, if you follow the rhetoric, and this has been true for a few years, but if you follow the rhetoric. Um, of the left, about the right, about uh, you know, I mean, they've been calling us. They there's a difference between calling us racist, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, yada yada, and saying that we are a national security threat. Mm-hmm. There is a there, like there is a, a sharp line between those two things. Um, it may not feel that way. But there is, because when they start saying, you guys are a national security threat, then they start creating the predicate for taking action.
0: Well, but and, in some they've already kind of you know, created that predicate, though, right? I mean, when you mm-hmm. talk about, I don't know, one thing that really strikes me when you talk about this, this apparently grassroots Antifa movement, right? Um, you talk about how it's orchestrated from... Uh, these other institutions and you know you mentioned kind of boomers in their last 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 gasp at, uh, at trying to do something right um what what immediately springs to mind for me is um the cultural revolution in china which was uh which was which looked like it was grassroots student movements students being upset seizing power um and was very chaotic but actually was completely orchestrated not completely but largely orchestrated um, not not in minute detail but goaded in the right direction constantly by people in power in right Ma- Mao's uh, wife and, and the rest of the CCRG right
2: right so, so uh, yeah uh, you you this is this is a f- it's a familiar dynamic um, it's a, f- a familiar dynamic and I mean we wrote the piece as a warning. Because we don't think that the right knows at all what it's up against. Number one, and number two is it's going to get. Uh, when it, we wanted to point out that regardless of what happens um, on election day, there will be protests. They've, they've told us there will be protests. They've begun. They've begun to uh, to put those those gears in motion. So when there, you know, so the the audience should know that the existence of protests means nothing about the election other than a bunch of you know a bunch of leftists have decided to protest you know nothing structural has changed this has just been their plan number one and number two is these guys are very good at mobilization the right is terrible at it yeah um so when they see, and, and, and why do they mobilize? Why do they want to get, you know, a million people into the streets? Because that million people amplified in, in media and on TV will seem like it's the whole country who is, who is demonstrating. Yeah. And, you know, and right, so, so they want to create something that that looks, um, that looks larger than it is. So in preparation for that, we need to know, hey, w- what they're doing now is, is going to be theater. You know, there's going to be a performance here. It's not spontaneous. And it has nothing to do with anything that Donald Trump has done because the organizers of 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 this stuff think that, you know, the u s. has been a fascist regime under Reagan already, you know, or or Carter right.
1: one of the things you talked I'm about sorry. in that piece is the transition integrity project. And Carter and I've only, I think, talked about it once, kind of briefly. Can you tell people a little bit about what the Transition Integrity Project is and how it's laying the groundwork for these protests? Sure.
2: Um, that is uh, an ad hoc project by the uh, Defending Democracy uh, Project, which is, so they got a bunch of folks together, they being um, a guy named Niles Gilman of the Berggruen Institute, which is a which is a, a China-linked, um, sort of smart set um, think tank that has its, you know, it's, it's um, has its his fingers in a number of pots on one hand. On the other hand, you have Rosa Brooks, who is um, a former Soros uh, official. Um, uh, someone told me the other day, interestingly enough, that uh, that Rosa Brooks's mom was a big SDS, uh, organizers. So, you know, you know, with many of these people, it's already, you know, it's second generation stuff. Um,
1: and And SDS for anyone catching up, that's students for democratic socialism, right?
2: Uh, for democratic society, society. Okay. Yeah. And that was, uh, and, and it's, it's sort of the, the premier new left group that, um, that was supposed to be nonviolent SDS today exists in the squad. When we think of of what SDS is, that's you know AOC, and frankly AOC would be very happy to you know uh, fly under that moniker. So it's not something that you know she's necessarily being accused of. Um, but um, so so the Transition Integrity Project was a sort of pickup group, and of um, of people on the left and Never Trumpers, and people who. For lack of a better uh, way of describing them, they're the consummate establishment deep state folks. Um, I know that a lot of people went kind of mad when um, I think it was Rush Limbaugh first used the word "deep state to describe uh, you know some of these folks. But really, what deep state, you know, we're not talking about the Turkish or e- Egyptian deep state. The U.S. deep state is the national security branch of the administrative state. It has a it has a meaning. It's totally a thing. Um, uh, the the uh, the the beltway is full of people who may not understand themselves as operating within an ecosystem, but that doesn't mean the ecosystem doesn't exist. Um, so, folks like Bill Kristol and folks like um, uh, what, what's his name? Um, Tony Podesta or John, I'm sorry, John Podesta. Um, folks like, uh, Michael Steele and, um, and a bunch of these, these other folks got together and they did a war game simulation of what would happen in a, uh, in a contested election. And then they ran several scenarios and then they decided to write a long report. It's about, about 30 pages summary of what it is and then they went and hit the media and um, they concluded in 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 one of the scenarios they concluded that um that the united states that california oregon and washington would secede from the united states in event of a of a trump victory um another scenario was that um uh was that uh 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 you know was that the military would remove Donald Trump uh, by force from the White House because he wouldn't accept, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, So the only scenario wherein there was not some complete meltdown of American uh, society and government was a clear Biden victory.
1: I noticed that. They had, isn't it true that they had four scenarios and only one of those scenarios was a decisive Trump victory and the rest were all... The, it concluded with Biden winning.
0: I didn't think they had any um, decisive Trump victories. I thought all scenarios oh, really? they didn't. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah,
1: they totally
2: <laughs> right. The, the only the only scenario where the world where the country didn't end up in flames literally was a clear Biden victory, which wow. I think honestly at this point all of us assume. You know, this I know I know that this is. I'm not sure when it's going to be broadcast, but I'm assuming, I'm assuming before the election. Um, you know, probably the least likely of the scenarios is a, a clear Biden victory at this yeah. point, I
0: think. Right. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. but they, one of these things, so, they've, they're setting this up so that there is no, they're, they're prepping people psychologically so that there is no conceivable way. If Trump wins, it must be because of some, uh, it must be an yes. ill gotten win in some way. There's no possible way he wins th- other than through nefarious means. Right. Um, Yeah. So, so, so it's one thing for them
2: to conclude that, right? It's another thing completely to do a media blitz telling the world that. So at that point you have to wonder why are they doing this? You know, it's not a bunch of guys sitting around trying to, um, uh, uh, trying to legitimately game out scenarios. Um, Some of my colleagues participated in a, um in in a similar type of war game trying to figure out if there's anything we're missing in examining the situation and you know we're not putting it out and, and giving people details about what happened and blah 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 you have to ask why did they do that and i think they did that um uh, i think they did that to prepare the ground uh as you said to prepare the ground for uh, an eventual um you know, an eventual scenario where they're convinced by hook or by crook that that Donald Trump is not going to legitimately win, so they're just going to run the play. Um, I think they're going to run the play regardless. I don't think they have it within their capacity or imagination to uh, to imagine a scenario where it's a clear Trump victory, where they're really going to have to, say— you know, where they're really going to have to go against um, uh, uh, overwhelming evidence of a Trump victory to, to, to run this, this kind of, um, you know, what other people have called color revolution uh, play. Um,
0: well, they'll be but, able to uh, make it not a clear victory by questioning, no matter what it is, they will have yeah, their sure. pundits and they have the entire cathedral yep. talking about voter fraud or, you know, whatever.
2: Um, yeah, they'll be talking about voter fraud. They'll be talking about voter intimidation. Right. Um, when I started thinking about this, immediately I saw that Pennsylvania is, and and Philadelphia in particular is going to be the flashpoint of of this election. Um, you can see it a mile away because Pennsylvania is essential to both campaigns. Number one, number two is it's really a red state with um you know with a giant blue dot in it. Maybe, maybe you know maybe two and to a le- you know to smaller ones to a lesser extent. But Philadelphia itself is where you're going to have to make up votes to, to balance out the rest of the um, the rest of the, the state, um, you know, the other parts of the state. So and and frankly, in Philadelphia, you've you've got a situation where you already have decades of folks on the ground doing organizing, lefty organizing in Philadelphia. You know exactly what to do, how to how to uh, the infrastructure is built. You just press the button and and you get um you know, you get a uh, uh, kind of uh, leftist direct action in Philadelphia. So it's not like, you know, they're they're not about to go and set up shop in um, in in Houston or to you know do something like that outside of their their zone. But Philadelphia is perfect. So we're gonna, I, you know, the, I would I would say, yeah.
1: Well, they're already um, having rioting there now. Yes. H- how does that play into it? Because I've seen some people suggesting that the legacy medias and the social media companies are purposefully throttling coverage of those riots. Do you think that's happening?
2: Yeah, I think that's happening. I think uh, I thought that, that the rioting would stop within 24 hours because the, the you know, the, the Antifa guys would call up the BLM guys and say, you know what, cool it for a couple days because you're not doing us any favors. But apparently um apparently what's happening is as as you said the so, the social media companies are saying you know what we're just not going to show this. And they can do it. You know you can get into a situation where half the country will be burning but they won't show it. Um and it reminds me of the um it reminds me of the uh, the opening scene in the Gilliam film Brazil which is you know just a kind of key uh, um uh, key film, you know, for for the times that we're living in, but it's basically, you know, you see, you know, what they call terror attacks all around, um, literally uh, taking place right there, and and a TV broadcast is like, oh, you know, nothing, I, you know, everything is fine, <laughs> you know, uh, y- you know what I'm talking about, you know yeah. the scene, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. the opening scene, you know, so so you know the media just doesn't cover the the reality of of the situation and and that obviously i mean understatement of the year is it doesn't bode well for the future of 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 social cohesion um or you know the health of uh the health of 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 a, of a nation
0: yeah you you talk a, you've talked a little bit about um that there is this uh color revolution potential that that could be happening and but i think a lot of people when you talk about there being People kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes. It sounds like a to some people, I think it sounds like a ridiculous kind of conspiracy theory. Like, oh, there's there's men in a, in a room smoking cigars, telling Antifa what to do, and that and that's not really the case in that sense. However, um, you've talked about how they they use multiple tactics. They're vegans, so they can yeah, have
2: they're vegans, They don't
0: smoke. They don't smoke. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sarah, fair enough. Fair enough.
1: They're eating carrots. <laughs> they're,
3: they're <telling> you... <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: They're they're, but but you have. But, you know, you've mentioned people like Hardy Merriman, who has like actual expertise in overthrowing governments through this. And you've talked about how they have an intentional strategy of multiple tactics. So you can have the the people who get their hands dirty and then the and then the level of people who support them, but not kind of overtly. They don't criticize them. Can you can you go into a little bit of how that works so that it sounds less conspiratorial to people and and have people have a better understanding of what's going on?
2: Sure, sure. So, so as as you correctly uh, point out, um, it's not like there are a bunch of people that say, "Hey, we're going to do this." You know, you know. I mean, a, a conspiracy theory is a bunch of people that get together and 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 plan to do X, right? Um, a a uh, let's say a group of Contractors who get together and build an apartment building—that's not a conspiracy. That's what people do for a living. So that's what we're dealing with here. You know, we're dealing with people that you wake up in the morning. You're literally getting paid. This is what you've done for 30 years. This is your job. Is 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 to um is, is to overthrow the you know is is to overthrow the government. And that's the job of people like Lisa Fifty, and that's the job of every one of these people in one way or another. I mean, that was the job of Barack Obama when he was in Chicago, you know when when he was when he was uh, uh, community organizing. Um, it's just a matter of who your target is because your 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 target is going to respond to the same, you know you're you're basically going to run a similar play. In order to address different, um, you know, different audiences, different concerns. But um, as you said, and and you brought up uh, diversity of tactics, which is which is um, a let's say a system that allows a different uh, that that allows several different types of people to get together and all array against one common enemy um yes. and uh you know and and what it does is it 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 makes it so that your differences are kind of deprioritized um and you know a lot of people for example on the right will fight against one another and i know that um you know when you know sort of earlier in my uh in my my career studying the muslim brotherhood and these groups terrorist groups they all fight they all have have personal drama um on one hand and on the other hand they all have ideological reasons for why you know these guys don't like i mean it's just like the monty python scene with the the, you know the um (laughs) the uh the 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 united front of judea or or you know or or whatever Mm -hmm. um you know people who are serious about politics and the micro points um are you know, are obsessive about it. So these little differences make up make a you know very big deal. So how does the leftist solve this problem? Um, the leftist solve this problem by saying, Okay, you guys, you nonviolent guys, you know, you're squeamish, you don't you guys don't like blood. You guys hang out over here and you can do X. The guys who like blood, you know, here's some shit kickers. You want to go. All you do is fight. You don't have brains. You just want to bash some people's heads in. You go and you go here. And, you know, and we'll um, we'll get a bunch of people, you know, you um, middle aged women, you look like soccer moms. Okay, great. We're going to use you. We're going to dress you up as as um, as, you know, soccer moms against Trump. And we're going to put you on the front line so that the media sees you. Another group. You guys are the you know you guys are going to work with the PR agency and you're going to make sure that these people are photographed from one angle only. Um, there's an art to this, and I can say, I mean, as someone who's done, I have done things like this on the right, literally things exactly like this uh, um, uh, um, on the right and and in kind of different ways for for you know, different clients and and, and things like that. It's a thing, it's a skill set. And, and you need a tremendous amount of money to pull it off. And you need a tremendous amount of human capital to pull it off. So, um, you know,
1: you need a docile and, and already thoroughly brainwashed Mm -hmm. group of people. And I think we're at that point of, you know, lately I've been watching a lot of documentaries about cults because they've mm-hmm. been interesting to me and helping me see my old ideology in a different way. And I think, in some ways, social justice ideology or whatever you want to call it, the regressive left, this this identity based Marxism, it's it, it's it functions like a cult. But it's harder, I think, for people to see that they're in it because there are a couple differences between this kind of cult, this kind of ideological cult and a cult that we might all, that might all come to mind, like the Jim Jones or, you know, the Kool-Aid drinkers or Scientology. Those, those cults have charismatic leaders. People can draw differences and say, no, this is so different. We don't have X, Y, Z, but it does check off all the other characteristics. (laughs) And, and when you're in it, it's almost like, um, they can get people to, I've had trouble describing this myself. It's, it's, they get people to move like a school of fish. And Mm -hmm. it's not like guys in a smoky room with cigars or carrots or whatever, just planning it out. It's just, you kind of fall in line organically with what you're comfortable doing. And so when I was in it, I would have been in the group of, I was in the group of the people online who in my career in entertainment and in my online posts was doing my tiny small part Mm -hmm. to push the ideology forward um, and try and provide academic justifications and emotional justifications for people. Mm. So I wouldn't be the person rioting, um, but I would be the person writing, maybe perhaps, as we've seen people do, writing books in defense of looting or articles in defense of rioting and trying to make it sound like it's okay and, and smooth it over and justify it and help people swallow it. And so I definitely see that happening. You see Antifa and BLM acting as the muscle for this movement in the streets or or the ones committing violence, but then you see a much larger group of people in the media and in social media who are carrying water for them and are justifying what they're doing and making and sort of mainstreaming it, making it seem normal and and then you get to the point where you have someone like Joe Biden saying it's not even a movement, it's just an idea. <laughs> like it's not, it's not a movement, it's just an idea. How, how it's they, they as much as they want to try and say Trump has given a wink and a nod, I, I I I struggle to see how they don't see that as a wink and a nod from Joe Biden. Like Antifa is just an idea. It's right. like keep on doing what you're doing. We're not, I'm not actually in the street committing violence myself, guys. I'm Joe Biden, but yeah, yes, you know
2: but 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 that's but that's not, right um no i mean the the point that you brought up earlier is such a good point and it's something that that i was thinking about when when kind of we first scheduled this um which which is that and here's the difference i always say that people on the left kind of um they want to be by temperament they want to be muckrakers they want to be um uh like they see themselves in an ecosystem like exactly what you described just described you're like okay i'm not going to be the one out there you know busting heads but my you know like you know to borrow another phrase my personal jihad Mm. is um you know is of the pen where i sit down and i and i and, and i you know do what you do versus on the right really everybody wants to be george will you know, either everybody wants to be George Will, or or now I guess everybody wants to be Ben Shapiro, Charlie Kirk, um, you know, that type of person who who just who just basically opines, um, you know, okay, I'm a guy who opines, um, oh, okay. but uh, but <laughs> I see, but but there's but no, but but there's you know, it's it's like um, it's it's like I think on the left there is a there is a sense that. You know I'm doing my part as a cog in this bigger machine. Yes, you know, I am working in a bigger machine, and I which means I don't have to um, you know i I don't have to be uh, you know, Van Jones or Ibrahim Candy or one of the big stars. I can just go and do my thing, which is why you see like you know, which is why you know they've taken over things like Wikipedia,
1: yeah. Because there's people Which is what, who, that's what they love doing. Because there's people, that's what they yeah. love to do. Exactly By the way, David, right. exactly. okay, guilty admission, exactly. Card already knows this. Okay. I spent time doing that as an SJW. I went in and altered definitions for rape. Christopher Columbus, I was one of the first people to put, this is embarrassing and maybe you'll hate me. I was one of the first people to start trying redo the wording and such to, to include a lot of... Um, Uh, sort of racist writings that Columbus had done about the natives and to introduce sort of denigrate him as a figure. And some of my stuff I think is still there like 10 years later. Okay. Yeah. So you are smart. So you are, that makes you
2: smarter than 90% of the people on the right, because you understand that that's important.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. You're you're changing definitions. You're changing cultural perception. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Okay. so so a a friend of mine told me about a speech that um, George Soros gave in in the 2000s. And and uh, someone asked him about conservative philanthropists and he laughed and he was like, you know, these guys are jokers. They all think that the point of philanthropy is to, you know, is like to make a profit or to make something that's like, you know, Is to get a return on their investment. He's like, no, this is philanthropy. You flood the zone, you put soldiers in the field, and they do things like edit Wikipedia. And if you've got 500 of these people, they can cover Wikipedia. Yeah. And they, you know, people who wake up. I always say this: we need people who wake up in the morning and say, "This is my goal within like." You know, this is my 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 task within this 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 finite um, uh, uh, boundary. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to spend my and and yeah. and you know and and we 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 just don't have that. You know, we have um we have something else um but uh, but we don't have an understanding of that. So so that's one of my long term frustrations because because while I saw it from the outside in and I tried to read their writings. You saw it from, from, from experience. I mean, you were there, you were, you were doing it. Um, so do you think, so you haven't seen sort of on the right or on the center, an analog to, to that kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, that kind of effort. Have you?
1: No, because, and I don't, maybe I'm just not in the right circles to have seen it, I think on the right, there's a better um, culture of people who who do memes, who engage in kind of silly juvenile humor. And I do think that memes have the ability to change minds. Humor has the ability to change minds. I worked in comedy when I was in SJW because I knew the power of comedy um, to get people to swallow ideas while you're making them laugh, you know, and... And I do think the right is better at that than the left in, in terms currently in terms of meme making, and that's why you see social media companies like Twitter censoring funny memes and saying, "Well, you yeah. can't do the NPC meme, and you can't do right. the hashtag Learn to Code, you know, and you can't do these funny things that that are illuminating truth." Um, but when it comes to w- like waking up and deciding we're going to control the narrative on um, Wikipedia, and we're mm-hmm. going to insert our version of the world in the dictionary. And we're going to, we're going to lobby the dic- dictionary.com every day and lobby Merriam-Webster's until they give in and bend and change the definition. No, I don't see them doing that. I don't see them doing, we used to do any time the press, I was one of the, the feminist nonprofits I was on the board of, it was mm-hmm. called Women Action in the Media. And we would get all of our members to target what seemed like very small things, but anytime a newspaper or, or uh, anytime a media outlet described the way a female politician on the left we only cared about the left anytime they described the way a female politician on the left looked we would have all of our members send them you know how dare you this is sexist this is lookism you can't use that word for women you can't use the word shrill you can't use you know and right, right, we right, got right, right. we got some publications to issue apologies. Over the long term, that does change the way. And then you you see now the fruits of all that. The a, the AP yeah. is issuing style in their style book. It's certain words you can't use. You can't use the word mistress. You're not allowed to do this. I was also a member of an immigration social justice group where we were heavily pushing um, the same thing. Anytime a media outlet used the word illegal when talking about illegal immigrants, we would do letter writing campaigns. They're not, a, they're, no human is illegal. You must call them undocumented Americans. They live here, they work here, they're Americans. Undocumented, undocumented, undocumented. What's the importance of doing that? Well, over time, you get the media to, you, you're changing, like Orwell said, you're changing language, which changes thought.
2: When in, in, uh, in 2004, 2005, when I was in San Francisco arguing with, uh, with, with lunatics in coffee shops, I first heard no human being is illegal. And I started to laugh. Because I was like, I was like, this is your argument. This is your, like, I was like, this is the level of argument that we're, that's just, I don't even, I, I shouldn't even have to respond to it. It's so dumb. Yeah. And but it works. But it works. Uh, you need to clip what you just said What you know, your last, uh, your last answer um, and and, and really put it online because I don't think people understand the nuts and bolts. I mean, when, when, um, I mean, we didn't do this in the article, you know, at all. But but you just kind of described it. People don't understand what organizing means. When they say lefty organizing, it doesn't necessarily mean getting 50 people to show up in a street corner. It means exactly what you were talking about. It means um, it means creating these, these these identifying the pressure points, right? Which is you know you 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 know with, with the uh, with the sexist point. You knew you weren't gonna waste time going after, you know, um, uh, you weren't gonna waste time defending Sarah Palin's honor or whatever. Right. <laughs> you, you identify. Right. You identify. You know, you you could you could give two shits about what they said about her, but you're going to uh, uh identify, you know, have have your list of uh, of of lefty women, and if anyone uses you know comments that are construed as sexist to about any of those women, then you you notify you notify these people, you nag them, but you're nagging on, they have a tremendous advantage as you know, because that person on the receiving end of those emails is already predisposed to support you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so so in that respect, in that respect, we've come a long way from the the early days of like Alinsky type organizing, when the person on the other end of the phone um, you know, who would be receiving these complaints is, you know, someone who would be more conservative or someone who would be like a captain of, captain of industry type, you know, who would, um uh, you know, who, who's kind of like firmly establishment, um, you know, you guys would call, you know, SJWs would call them, you know, whatever, reactionary, you know, type guy chomping on a big cigar, you know, but now companies, Are being run by, and and the media firms are being run by people who are already SJWs. Yeah. Or one step away. And in that goes back, you know, it takes this much.
1: That goes back to what you're saying about how a lot of conservatives, and I think you're right, as I've met more people I've met more people on the right in the past four years, a lot of them have this idea. And I've even heard them say in our comments, Carter, when we do they'll say, Oh, well, they'll kind of make fun of so people who are studying social justice at university and they'll say, Yeah, but these kids, they're never gonna get a job when they, you know, they're gonna be living in their parents' basements. I'm like, no, no, no. They're going to get jobs. All of the people who were indoctrinated 20 years ago when I was indoctrinated got jobs. And guess where they got them in media, entertainment. You know, they're they're running Google. They're running um, BuzzFeed. They're running CNN. They're doing like social justice warriors can get jobs. And the fact that you're underestimating it.
0: I mean, the the question for me is, yeah, I, I was like, my question is – I guess I have a couple questions. One is why does the right – I mean I think Michael Anton also complained about – I don't think he used the phrase they all want to be George Will. But he, he's complained about a similar similar thing on the right. And, um, and I, I guess my question is like fundamentally they shouldn't get jobs because they don't produce anything. So I think, like, I understand that sentiment of someone who looks at that and says, well, there's, there's no productive value in in that degree. And that is true. There is no, existentially, that's not a productive task. But if you're in clown world in which Jack Dorsey is willing to spend millions of dollars on unproductive tasks, and you have a degree in that particular unproductive task, well, then you get it's a job. It's no longer
2: unproductive. Right it's no right. longer unproductive right um you know and 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 uh, i mean if he's talking the incentives in such a way um it's it's no lo- you know it's no longer a, a, a non productive job um you know there is a path to there are a lot of paths that are available to you on the left that are just not available to you on the right yeah um If, uh, you know, and this is, this is, you know, kind of, you know, veering, uh, you know, veering off to the side a little bit, but, but we don't have media organs that are at all the same. We don't have a, we don't have a, a, a kind of, um, conveyor belt that builds public intellectuals like the left has, you know, a guy like Kendi or whatever, um, you know there is there's, there's a, a circuit of people it's not very difficult you just have to have you know conventional wisdom lefty opinions and you can go and if, if you've got a, a, um, a PhD and conventional opinions um, you can go and you can do a book and then really on on anything as long as it's within the, the bounds of ideology and they'll go and they'll fly you from one conference to the next They'll give you an endowed chair somewhere, and basically you're good to go. And they recognize you as, as you know, they they credential you. And the left is very good at credentialing. The right is terrible at it, at all levels. And, um, and this is how they, this is how they understand putting soldiers in the field. You know, it's it's not only you know, it's not only someone who is. Um, you know, who, who sits and edits Wikipedia all day. It's not someone who puts together, you know, who builds puppets for, you know, for, for, for mass rallies. It's also, um, you know, it, it's, it's also the, the, the conveyor belt of folks that start out on lefty blogs. I mean, look who writes for the New York Times today. Straight yeah. journalists, I mean. The straight journalists today who write for the New York Times used to write for far left blogs five years ago
1: and longer i remember a lot yeah. of the small sort of again at the time considered on the fringe lefty blogs that i followed like feministing which was one of the it became one of the most popular feminist blogs a lot of those writers jessica valenti people they came from that blog mm-hmm. and now they write for the yeah. new york times right no i mean it's 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 uh,
2: it, it's ridiculous there was you know i mean there's so many of these people that it's hard even to uh um but but you, you would never see the same of someone on the right like if you know you whatever you started with a diary on red state and you <laughs> maintained your 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 conservative politics and then you wind up at the New York Times that's that's insane even to say it is tough, yeah. um, at, at at the absurdity of it but y- yeah I mean you've you've got um uh who was a good there's so many good examples you know you start off with um, you know some rinky-dink lefty blog, you know totally extreme. You know you start off with a Daily Kos diary, you go, you get, you, you know, you you get yourself a job here. You go um, at, at Talking Points Memo, then you're at Vox, and then finally you matriculate up to the New York Times, where you're paid, you know, 200 grand a year, and um, and you know it's it's and what that is is that's that's credit that's just credentialing. And it's, yes. and it's a thing that people on the right don't have. And we wonder, you know, people on the right get upset at, at folks who are, who are constantly looking for approval in some of those journals. You know, the, 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 the folks like, um, you know, like David French or Seth Mandel, wherever, you know, whenever uh, mainstream lefty media needs a conservative to denounce conservatives, you know, there are a bunch of people that, you know, eagerly raise their hands um, in order to, to do that task. Well, they know where you know. They know that they've come, gone as far uh, as far up on the on the food chain on on the in in the in the right leaning ecosystem as they can. So, if they want to climb up, if they want to go up, if they want to get a better job or more money or prestige or whatever, they only have the left to go to. And as as everything and and you know, I'm going. I'm all over the place today. So so you have to you have to forgive me. But w- when at the bottom line to all of this is it's a failure of right wing philanthropy it's a failure of 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 don't conservative donors over the course of 30 years
1: that was going to be my question is what is the difference yeah. because not just what's the difference between why is there this pipeline on the left for credentialing mm-hmm. people that that doesn't exist on the right that's one question and then the other question is why do people, psychologically, why are people on the right not as inclined to wake up and edit Wikipedia? I'll tell you, since I love social justice ideology, I haven't haven't edited Wikipedia once. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any motivation to. I kind of feel like it's manipulative. (laughs) So, So, I don't
2: know. Right, well, yeah, you know, instead you're like, hey, I'm gonna do a podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and that makes sense. No, I mean, that, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. I've thought about this for a long time when I started working in conservative, you know, what, what Anton would call, uh, you know, conservative ink and this whole, um, you can't really say ink, but let's say the, the, the archipelago of conservative, um, uh, think tanks and nonprofits dealing with a lot of donors from very, very big to very small um at the end of the day it's easy it's much easier for the left because they're all pushing in one direction they may not have a particular policy goal in mind but but the idea of equality the idea you know um as defined by a leftist um the idea of you know the 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 march for progress the but i mean I'm not entirely sure what they have in mind when they close their eyes and they imagine, um, you know, I'm not, I mean, I I should probably ask you, um, what did you have in mind when you when you close your eyes? Because I'll tell you, on the conservative side, there is no agreement. Some people want to go back to 1954. Some people want 1984. Some people want, you know, God knows what. And for that reason, you, you know, it, that, that makes things harder. But, I mean, did you on the left have, a, you know, you, whatever, you close your eyes at night, you're, you're imagining your utopia. What does that look like?
1: So there was a book I read in Women's Studies at Duke. It was called Woman on the Verge of Time. And it's, this, okay. it's supposed to be presented as a sort of a feminist social justice utopia, a, a, a futuristic novel, sci-fi kind mm-hmm. of novel. And it's actually I want to reread it now because now Mm. what I remember of it, it was chilling because in this future they were presenting it as a utopia. But from what I recall, it's very dystopian. It's a little bit like Brave New World. They didn't intend it to be alarming. But in this future world, children are raised by a community and they make sure that community is very diverse racially and sex and sexuality wise. And they view the parental, like a two parent home as being detrimental to humans and, you know, giving you all this socialization everything is, everything is, you know, uh, a social construct. And so if they can break down yeah, the that's... parental unit, then they can deprogram, they can make sure all the socialization that's so evil doesn't happen. Um, mm. But to be honest, David, I actually don't think that a lot of people, and I certainly didn't, didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it because the, the goal itself what you're fighting is your purpose Mm -hmm. and you can't actually imagine it ending like i couldn't have imagined this social justice ideology getting to the point where it is now i always thought because you you're taught to see yourself as and they all see themselves as this um david figure david and goliath they see it as they're the resistance when when they're actually they've become it's become mainstream it's the status quo but they still see themselves as this little beleaguered resistance and it it makes them feel like it's this um um noble cause and and also the ideology tells you that you'll never see an end to racism and sexism and all these isms they think they're fighting you're never going to eradicate them you're always going to be fighting the fight never ends even when you die they don't have the decency to say rest in peace they say rest in power it's all about power (laughs) <laughs> right. They don't even let you rest in peace. You're still fighting for power from beyond the grave, you know. But it's yeah. Just, yeah.
2: You know, Look, it's it. It's no accident that all of that that the new left is, you know. I mean, these the the new left was built by students of Heidegger. That's not an accident. Um, and uh, yeah. So so they see you know they see power pa- they see will to power.
0: Um so I, I think, I, I, I've but, got a question for you though because you're yeah. I'm sure you've heard this from Michael Malice. It's one of the most succinct and damning descriptions of conservatism and accurate that I can think I, and I've been, I've not, I'm not a conservative. I haven't been a conservative for maybe, maybe when I was really young. I'm so 25 years. Mm -hmm. He says conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. And I look at the left for the past several decades, even just in my lifetime, And I say, yes, they've gotten more radical. Yes, I think they're unhinged now. I think it's because they think they've won. They don't need to play the game anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. So they can just do their thing. They think they've won. Um, And maybe they have. Uh, But they've always been philosophically pretty Marxist, even if they didn't know it. They didn't know it, but their principles were pretty collectivist, anti-individualist. They've always been that way. Always. Um... You know, with some exceptions, they had some exceptions for like, we like porn and and instead of our bedroom, but like, generally, Marxists. Uh, And the conservatives, I really don't know what they stand for. They always seem to stand for like, well, can we go more slowly? There's no principled stance. So it's not a surprise to me that the conservatives lost, because I don't know what the hell battle they've been fighting this whole time. Can you explain that to me?
2: Yeah. So what you're describing is the conservative donor. Okay. Uh, um, and the conservative donor or the universe of consider- conservative donors create the incentives for where, you know, where, where all this is, um, a good example will be, you know, regardless of how you feel about, uh, this particular issue, but, uh, you know, Paul Singer, um, you know, who well, I'm sure, you know, L- uh, Elliot management, Um, You know, venture capital guy um, is a big, you know, has uh, historically been a big kind of establishment conservative donor. His son is gay and he went on a mission to change the view of uh, gay marriage on the right um, because, you know, because of his son. Right. I mean, I guess he's he's free to do that. But the, I'm just giving it to you as an example on, you know, what kind of things. You, you know, one one very um, wealthy donor who's very involved and very committed to any particular issue can change. You know, can fundamentally change the universe of conservative media um, and think tanks and activism. Um, you know, through 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 giving money, look what's happened. I can't think of a better example. I shouldn't have used that. I should have used the example of the Coke guys,
0: right? They're they're um, one that bother me,
2: right? The, the 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 Coke guys, together with um, uh uh together with the tech companies, um to to do this thing. Uh, you know, conservative philanthropists have spent 30 years trying to conv trying to tell republican voters that the greatest americans of all have been titans of industry you know and and uh and and mega billionaires and 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 you know and and stuff like that um so i'm getting you know, just
1: a little lost could you guys tell me what what did the coke brothers oh. do oh
0: i'm sorry no
1: you i want,
2: just you don't want to take it
0: no go ahead i mean yeah
2: okay uh, I mean, so the, the, the Koch brothers are not conservative, and, and you know, they've been described as, as libertarians. Um, they've been on the forefront of a bunch of issues from criminal justice reform um, to uh, immigration, uh, their open borders. Um, they are also sort of instrumental in this situation we find ourselves in with big tech which is they're making the argument that oh no, it's, you know, it's, it, this is uh, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, um, you know, every major social media um, uh, uh, network in the world censoring you is fine because it's always oh, it's a private business.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: And, and, you know, so, so this is the kind of thing that, that they're doing and, 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 how, okay. So how do they do it? They do it. By saying to, you know, let's say, conservative publication A, they'll say, hi, um, we have a Coke fellow. Would you like to hire him? Oh, don't worry. It won't cost you money. We're going to pay for it. He's just going to be on your editorial board now. He's going to wake up in the morning and every day he's going to write a piece about how the big tech companies and Section 230 and, and the – uh, a Communications Decency Act is just fine, shouldn't be changed. Don't do it. Blah 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 blah. Every day, boom boom, he's hammering it, and there's no disclosure.
1: Wow.
2: Um, let's say you go, and and what what does it matter to these guys? These guys have all the money in the world. What they, what, what they're 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 shy about spending a hundred grand on a per, on on a person? So they'll buy ten of them. Right. So, at every publication, you've got maybe two or three people who are literally on the payroll, and their job is just to um, you know just to reflect the um, uh, reflect you know sort of corporate you know the the policy of of their donors. And I'm not saying these people who are doing who are hired, who are who are the writers, don't believe that. You know, they're hired because they can make the case, you know well and because they believe it but still what you're getting what the average consumer of that news is getting is you know is is manipulation you know you're not getting someone who who wakes up in the morning and says you know I'm going to consider these issues you're not getting a, a heterodox conservative scene you're getting what people what donors have paid for
1: they're paying them for their point of view yeah
2: so i mean i you know there there are there are folks out there that um, that do this you know in in on the down low there are folks that do this in public you know it's it's not it's not a secret who some of these folks are
0: I mean when I let me see how this strikes you it's, it seems mm-hmm. to me that there's that the left we can we can sit back all day and say that the left is unprincipled. Then certainly in many of their actions, I mean, Saul Alinsky's playbook is, is specifically rejects principle. Dedicated behavior.
2: to unprincipled, yeah.
0: <laughs> right. However, um, there is a I, my impression of the left is there's a general sense of moral fortitude. Like they they are they're sure that they're right morally. There's some kind of moral. This is the right direction to go and we're all kind of aligned with this. So when Carrie sits down to edit Wikipedia, she's got moral conviction that this is mm-hmm. this is the right direction the country needs to move. And when the Antifa is smashing people's face, there's the right direction. There, there's a moral, cer- there's moral certainty there. Um, but on the right, it seems to me that the conservatives conceded the moral points a long time ago. And they mostly just have pragmatic arguments about, well, uh, minimum wage is bad because it has this particular economic impact, and this, you know, healthcare could be more efficiently run by the private sector, which is not a moral argument, right? They don't, they don't make moral arguments. They don't seem to be ever really making more, with the exception of silly things like rap lyrics uh, in the in the 90s or something. They don't, they don't really seem to be making arguments that are moral. So how can people possibly unite behind an ad hoc group of pragmatists? Look,
2: I agree with you. You know, I hate to. I hate to. I agree with you completely. I hate to. Um, to you know, to to sound like a a broken record, but again, it's it's this it's this donor dynamic. Um, you you, it's it's absolutely a donor dynamic.
0: But why isn't you know? that dynamic How do true you have, on the left? Why is it only a, a morally bankrupt donor dynamic on the right?
2: Well, they're smarter. Smarter. I mean. You know, I, I I make no bones about it. There's a book called the pra- is it the Practical Progressive? I'm not sure. I have I used to go and I used to buy a bunch of copies. It's a it's a fluorescent yellow and blue book. Um, and it is a book all about. It's like a tour guide of uh, progressive uh, philanthropy. And it's intended for the prospective uh, donor. And they have profiles of organizations. They have um, uh, you know, interviews with you know, key personnel and things like that. And, and you walk away from this book thinking, man, these guys have got it systematized. And they're better at it because they, they will put together um, – they'll pool their resources in a, in a, in a much smarter way. And their donors, unlike our donors, um, our donors never want to be the only ones in on a project. I mean, I can give you examples. I probably shouldn't, but we just saw it. It was it was in, in public in the headlines that Sheldon Adelson gave 75 million to the you know to a um, a super PAC uh, affiliated with you know Trump reelect a good chunk of change. Not a lot of people can drop 75 million into, you know, can write a check for 75 million to a political uh, uh, project. And you know what? God bless him that he did it. Where it's going to go and where it's going to be spent, uh, you know, that's a different story. So these guys get together, and it's like, you know, Bernie Marcus contributed five million, and, and uh, you know, someone else contributed. 3 million and it's like nobody wants to be the only ones in everybody wants the cover of a ma- a large donor and um, there's no sense of interestingly enough for right-wing people there's no sense of competition it's like and, and I've experienced this dealing with um, dealing with with some of these guys too. masters of business absolute masters of business and they they get into the they get into the you know the kind of the world of giving and, um, and, and they, and they forget, they forget, you know, everything that they've learned about, um, you know, uh, about, uh, competence and, and, uh, you know, and, 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 th- and things like that. Um, the leftists, you know, go to the Open Society, uh, Foundation website. They catalog their tens of thousands of micro grants, you know, a micro grant would be, hey man, you're really good on Twitter. Um. We want to pay you just to be good on Twitter because you're really good at it. Here's 50 grand, you know, combine it with, you know, your work as you know, c- combine it with, you know, your other job, um, you know, so you can do whatever part time Twitter work. You're important for the cause, for the mission. Mm-hmm. They give out tens of thousands of these things every year and they track them and they and they and they and they, uh, you know, establish metrics and things like that. Our side doesn't do that. I actually went and 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 I tried to uh to to pitch myself. I tried to pitch you know, a project like that where we'd give microgrants. Um specifically to to writers who are now having to, you know, on the left we talk about, you know, he'll get a hundred, two hundred grand at the New York Times or at Bloomberg or wherever. Um on the right, these people now are 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 being paid by 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 the click. Yeah. Hmm. So risk they're aversion? writing an article, and it's like, um, I don't know if it's risk aversion. I just don't – I mean, I've pitched some of these things to, to some of these folks, and they look at me like I have three heads. And there's a, a tremendous resistance to – left-wing donors love to pay for people. Right-wing donors don't want to see, you know, one salary on their um, – you know. Break down the project. They don't want to see salaries. They want to see, you know, they spend money on 30-second um, ads. They spend money on billboard campaigns, uh. plenty of it, et cetera, et cetera. But if they see, like, oh, why, why do you have four people, you know, on staff? You only need one person on staff, you know. So they'll nickel and dime you on 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 that stuff. But it's it's a fundamental, um, it's a fundamental difference. I really urge you. I think it's called the Practical Progressive. It's okay. a small book. It's it's you read it and you're just like, man, we're done, we're toast. Oh because, no. Because for every possible interest that you may have as a lefty, it will find five, ten things to donate to. Right away. Here's the address. Here's the. I mean, they may as well have included the, um, you know, the 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 wire info, just to wire money. And I'm sure that book has brought in tens of millions to all of these to all these places. And uh, I mean that's one thing that was it was in the headlines too. As soon as uh, as soon as Trump won, th- these um, I think it was Soros and maybe some other folks just decided to say, "Hey, if your nonprofit today is a three million dollar budget, we're going to bump it to six. And we want to plan for you for what you're going to do with that extra money. Now, imagine, imagine a, a right-wing uh, think tank or a, or a policy group or something being given that opportunity. I mean, it's 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 crazy. We can go down the list of of, of you know conservative nonprofits. If you if you take out Heritage Foundation, which has a huge endowment. And you take out, you know, one or two others, you're left basically with with most of them that operate under five million dollars a year. And that's not even a blip on the you know, compared to what the lefties have. That's well, not even, you know.
1: Well, well, something that strikes me there and what you just said about how you're you're talking about nonprofits. And then when you mentioned on the right, you said think tanks. And I was thinking about how the left is really good at disguising something that might arguably be called a think tank or an identity mill as a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. They have all these nonprofits like, and and I was on the board of several and they're all, you know, this one's a women's group. This is about women. Mm -hmm. This is about race. This one over here is about immigration. This one's about Mm -hmm. animal rights, but they're all pushing the same ideology. Sure. They're all pushing the ideology, but they're all, but when you, when you, when they approach, when you approach people, it's, it's, it feels different because it's an it's not a think tank. It's a nonprofit, and don't you care about yeah, women? And don't you care about um black right. people? And you know, don't you care about immigrants? And it's this sort of they get you a, like Carter says on the moral thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, are there nonprofits on the right that are focused around women sure. or and do, and do they push not the same focused, ideology? Not focused...
2: Well, I mean, not focused on women, no. But I mean, but there are issue-based groups, you know. There, are, for example, pro-life groups, pro-gun right. groups, um, you know, the the different things that that. Um, I mean, there's always kind of naturally been a um, a different set of issues and and you know topics that people on the right versus people on the left will gravitate towards, right? So. It used to be that you would have a hard time finding someone, finding a left winger who would be qualified for a job at the Pentagon. Like you could find someone who's a Democrat in the old, you know, Jim Webb um, mold, but you would have a hard time finding someone who is like SDS, you Mm -hmm. know, with a resume suitable for the Pentagon. Not anymore. Not anymore. And how did they do that? they did that by creating a nonprofit called the Truman National Security Project in around 2004, 2006. And that was their credentialing mechanism for lefty national security folks. So if you were, you know, so, so today, I mean, I know one of my, my closest friends actually is, is used to be affiliated with them. Um, a centrist. Um, But, um, but yeah, you know, they put together this group to credential one another. So, so so-and-so becomes, you know, so-and-so goes from, uh, you know, let's say, for example, you know, girl from the Midwest goes to school, gets her, you know, does Peace Corps, gets her, uh, you know, master's and then her PhD from, um, uh, you know, Dartmouth or whatever, decides to spend um, a year hanging out with the Syrian rebels you know, um, does, you know, does a few, uh, you know, spend some time at, you know, Cairo University or something and and decides to come back and will do a national, Truman National Security Fellowship, get involved in that network of people, get, you know, in that job bank. And because it's the Obama administration, will get a job at the Pentagon or at the CIA or whatever. Now, fast forward now three years. Now, this person is a senior administration official and the next Democrat, uh, um, next Democrat administration comes on, they're like looking at, at you know, Assistant Secretary of State. That's wow. the credentialing mechanism that did not exist for the left on national security until 2006, wow. you know, 2000, 2008. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, think tanks are really important for that. And they provide a place to go between the time that you are, you know, when when the administration is in power, when your administration is in power, you're supposed to be in government. When it's out of power, that's when you go to a think tank and you hang out there for a while, you know, four years, eight years, and then you go back. But it, it's important because let's say it didn't exist. Let's say you go... And you're in the administration and then you're done and then it's like, okay, well, I can't get a job in politics anymore. I, I you know, I, I have all these credentials, but what am I going to do with myself? You know, I'm going to have to go work for a tire company, you know, or a shoe company or, 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 or leave politics whatsoever. So the think tank is a way to keep people in the conveyor belt until they can go back to um, government. And... Bill Crystal put together a group like this for expressly this purpose, um, and then it, it it ended up folding. I'm not sure why, but this was the whole point. The point was, you know, uh, you start off here, you work on the hill, you bounce around here, you bounce around there. At any point when you're between jobs, you're a fellow at this place, and somebody's cutting you a check for for money just to keep you afloat, because we recognize that you're important, in in the ecosystem and that's unusual for you know for the right that it exists on the right but nobody really understands it the way kind of I just described it like nobody understands why and what the utility is and what the left uses it as And I think the left understands
1: Hmm. I'm so happy you came on the show this is what I meant about you being one of the most interesting people I've met on Twitter I don't know any of this stuff (laughs) so it's it's fascinating no,
2: no. i want you, i seriously if you could do me a favor and put together a little thing or talk about it or write it whatever it is but just describe what you did when you know okay i i mean did anyone tell you to do the wikipedia editing no
1: do you know how i got into it since confessionals uh yeah there was a comedian i managed a social justice the most of the comedians i worked with were in the social justice area i chose that huh? Cause I okay. wanted to work with comedians who were pushing my ideology and this comedian I represented, um, was included on a Maxim magazine list of the 50 worst comedians and they really went after her. And okay. so I started by defending my client who uh, on Maxim. So I started by, editing their page. That was Maxim. I think was the first page I started editing. And I went through and I cherry picked, which is what SJWs do a lot or ideologues of any type. You go and find any, I scoured the internet, finding any small, tiny article anywhere, alleging sexism from Maxim. And then I put them all in, I had a whole, I started a section on their, on their page called controversies where it was full of, here's all, so that that, that stays in their bio and they get discredited as the sexist magazine and it becomes a part of how the framing of who Maxim is. They're sexists. Look at all these stories. There's references, right? Yeah. Um, and then from there, it became. It was an ideological thing. It wasn't just about defending my client. It was. It was pushing my belief system through definitions, through well, what is rape? Let's expand. Let's let's talk about consent. Let's expand that definition. You know, let's. Um, let's kind of push the ideology through the way people think about things, and. The thing is, I thought it was, I thought I was doing good. What's funny is that, like I said, now, when Mm -hmm. I look back on it, why haven't I done it since then? Well, I view it as kind of, you're like a a Winston Smith. You're Mm -hmm. manipulating people and you're trying, you're trying to alter the public record to represent your narrative of things. And Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine myself waking up and finding that fulfilling to do anymore. From whatever my, my perspective is now, I could go in and I could I could, I guess, try and point out how social justice is racist and sexist and I could spend time doing it. Maybe I should. But it just seems like I'd rather just say what I believe. These are just my opinions on our podcast, me and Carter. And I'm not going to Wikipedia and trying to edit the official record, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. but maybe it's but maybe fighting back is necessary i mean i'm not giving you a job you right, know, i'm not like right. you know telling you telling you to to do this but i think it's necessary i think it's 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 necessary i was going i was looking through wikipedia today actually um, just out of curiosity seeing what they write about people who i know and it's insane yeah it's insane i mean i you know i've i've had i've worked for people and known people where you know who have hired who've spent you know six seven eight hundred thousand dollars on Wikipedia editing, and their page wow. is still a nightmare. It's still a nightmare because they can't keep up with it. Wow, you know, I mean, there are folks on the right who have a less balanced Wikipedia entry than Hitler, you know it's yeah. like every possible thing, every kitchen sink thing they throw in, and they're so on top of it and you know, the, I I hate that kind of small detail. Yeah. Type, they think, you know, they think pedantic has, stuff. But there are people pe- who obsess with it. Those people, right? right. And they're not. We have them on paid. the right too.
1: They just love doing right. it. It's like they feel like they're. This is my small way to contribute yes. to changing the world. And I'm going to wake up and find different pe different uh, words on on Wikipedia to edit because it makes me feel like I'm doing something good like yeah
0: right. yep so busy bodies no, no, ex- will always uh, uh, win exactly. basically is what you're saying busy bodies well, no always i
2: mean win, they'll right? win some busy 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 bodies will always win the things that busybodies win
0: whether <laughs> or
2: not whether or not no i mean it's a tautology yeah. but uh, you know it is it is what it is yeah uh, which is also a, <laughs> um no but like if if what we have to do then is is lower the importance of things like that, you know. I mean, if we can't win Wikipedia, if Wikipedia is always going to be a shit show, we have to delegitimize Wikipedia.
0: Right. We have to um, delegitimize all those know, credentials we, that you were talking about before. If you undermine the credentialism, yeah. it undermines that entire network.
2: Yeah. And look, it's it's but I mean, you know, all right, a, a um, you know, a, a story that uh, you know, for, January 2017, I walk into the White House with with some friends and, you know, to meet with some of our other friends who were there. And I say, hey, there are a couple things that you guys really need to do that maybe other people aren't telling you to do. But one of the things is you have this, you know, you have this presidential appointments document, you know, of of roles of so-and-so to the board of this, to the board of that, and blah, blah, blah. He's on, you know, um, you know, these 12 people are on the president's advisory board for counterterrorism and blah, blah, blah. I said, here's your list of, here's the Obama list. At the very least, you don't have to make new um, positions. At the very least, erase these names and put in your people. Because that way, you know... So-and-so over there, who used to be a really good journalist covering, you know, counterterrorism, he doesn't have to say he's a journalist covering counterterrorism at a blog. He can say he's on the Presidential Commission for Counterterrorism. And he can go on Fox News, and for the rest of his life, he can say, former administration appointee for blah, 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 blah. And that's credentialing. And they said, I'm sorry. They said, oh, it's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Did wow, they, you know, but it falls, but it falls through the cracks because people don't think it's important. You know those days, I cut them a lot of slack because it was chickens without without heads running around and and you had a lot of people in there who really didn't want to do anything to advance um, I mean, you know the the um, I mean, they didn't have a press list when wow. it started i I had to make it. Um, you know, not, not press list, I mean, surrogate list in terms of like, hey, supporters, you know, here's what, you know, here's the, um, uh, you know, here's the kind of behind the scenes that the stuff that we're pushing, can you help us? Like, here's some tweets, here's some this. They didn't have such a list. So it had to be made because they didn't have a list because nobody there thought it was important because it fell through the cracks. So, you know, so it's, it's a hard thing. I'm not saying that it's a matter of, um, you know, left versus right, whatever. It seems like like the right is especially not thinking along these lines, but it's getting better. You know, so I I don't want to trash the Trump administration uh, because they absolutely learned, um, and they learned along with. If I think Donald Trump himself has kind of gotten more based, um, you know, to use that that uh, that that parlance uh, over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, his talking about critical race theory and things like that just the yes. idea that that's even a thing that just i mean 27 18 20 uh, uh, um, 2017 2018 you'd have walked into the White House and talked about critical race theory they would have looked at you like a maniac yeah um it's different it's different now and 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 uh, and I think a lot of that has to do also with the fact that Trump now himself, is he was never an ideological guy at all he's never uh, you know coming from he never read any of the stuff you know we grew up reading um but he's getting it you know and uh, and he's getting it kind of viscerally by knowing who the people are who attack him all the time and yeah. i think he's putting two and two together and 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 you know and and uh you know you could say that there's a you know there's a process of radicalization going on with him, but it's but it's not really radicalization because he hasn't shifted at all. It's just he sees things more ideologically now, he sees things more clearly, yes. he understands. Yeah. He's so, up. so that's why he's waking up. So that's why I'm really excited about the possibility of a second term. Um and you know, I think he his 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 waking up is exactly in proportion to the attacks on him and the in the unhinged um attacks on him which he did not expect. Yeah. He'll tell you he didn't expect them. Um yeah. so you know the those attacks aren't going to stop as we know.
1: Yeah. Right. Hey David, I don't I, I don't want to keep you too long, but I was curious if you could tell me how do you know so much about how the left operates? And what's your personal, you know, in one of the articles I read about you, uh, it was talking about how 9/11 was pivotal for you in t- in terms of um, stoking your interest in yeah in well national policy. In, in, so yeah, all
2: that stuff. Yeah, so um, I mean, I always I always had this politics. Um, my I didn't really get it. I was I was the one, one that radicalized my parents. Um, but, uh, you know, I used to argue with them when we were younger, but now that, you know, now they're watching OAN and, uh, you know, and, and, and they're, and they're they're great. Um, but, uh, but I was in New York for nine 11. I, I was, you know, right there at the world trade center, not long before, um, the, the first plane hit, I was not there when it did, but I, it's a long story. Um, but as soon as it happened, I knew who did it because i grew up in new jersey when um you know the previous jihadis did it you know they tried to take the, the they tried to to blow up the world trade center in, in 93. um so i had a feeling of who did it and um and then i thought you know what's driving these people and i gave him credit you know i gave him credit because, because even then i knew that it was like you know when you say something you know someone is. Is driven by hate or fear or something. It's always, you know, hate of what and why, fear of what and why. And and I wanted to understand them the way they understood themselves. And that, and when it came to the jihadis, it was really easy because these guys didn't do anything without written, you know, without written documentation and sources in Islamic scripture in, in, you know, um, uh, in minute detail of explaining why they are justified in doing what they're doing. Legal briefs they would write when they would, when they would, you know, do these things. So to my surprise, that stuff existed Um, and it was knowable. And the best part about it was it was all in English. Well, All in English. Why? Because most Muslims don't speak classi- classical Arabic, hmm. you know, and and um, and every book that is in use by by these jihadis is, is is in English, and not only in English, but authorized translation by you know grand muftis, um, and and published, and you can read it. I mean, if you go. Um, you know, if you go Muslim Brotherhood in the United States, most of their I mean, other than their own internal planning documents, everything for 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 the membership consumption is in English because they know that, you know, they're dealing with, um, you know, Muslims from all over the world. But they're in the United States, so it's all going to be in English. Um, so that was so that was interesting. And then I just I just dove um, deep into that and and. You know, I, I studied Marxism and Leninism in, in, in college and and I grew up learning the stories about communism and visiting behind the Iron Curtain to Hungary and Romania when I was a kid. Um, so I understood the left and totalitarianism and, and that kind of thing and the existence of evil. Um, but, you know, I always wanted to know why. And with yeah. the left, I, I'm fascinated by their system of organizing. I'm fascinated by, you know, I a few friends and i we uh yeah, we get so excited when we when we discover uh leftist pedagogical books you know leftist <laughs> radical books written for other leftists in how to do what they do because they you know it 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 exists it's like um it's like um you know there's a there's a great uh book that's about i think' it was written in in maybe the eighteen fifties by um heinrich helmholtz on the organization of tone and it's this big
3: and
2: you know it's like this big and it's written for musicians by you know a musician in like the you know 18th 19th century so it's a totally impenetrable um, but there's something I mean totally impenetrable and and um, but you can but you know someone who's a musician even today you know can still get stuff from it and And I did. And it's always exciting to see stuff kind of written for a particular audience by that audience, you know mm-hmm. by that uh, you know, a, a book on jazz written for jazz people, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. so that that was a thing that always fascinated me. But um so when I found the the left's massive um, library of of you know books and papers and websites, and and um and and all this stuff, this the same is for the um for the Islamists. It's it's always interesting. You know, yeah. things I didn't know, things you wouldn't wouldn't know. Go to like Sunni Forum um or things like that, you know, these these different forums where where um, um you know Salafi net or something like that, where the Salafis are, are, are are pissed off at the Muslim brothers and they're pissed on, you know, they're calling them communists and Jew lovers and, you know, and it's hysterical because whenever you have a little subculture, you have the infighting, you have yeah. um, the way they understand each other. And you can immerse yourself in it, even as an outsider by seeing, you know, by, you know, and it's, it's actually a kind of Straussian approach. Which is you, you put like historicism aside, you put it and you say, Okay, I'm gonna deal with, you know, I'm gonna study this text or this author as you know, the author demands to be understood as he understands himself. So I think that any analysis that doesn't at least address that is phony baloney bullshit. So, like, you know, a feminist analysis of Shakespeare. Tells you a lot about feminism. It tells you nothing about Shakespeare.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> here, here.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, David, for coming on on Safe Space. Carter, did cut I up. cut you off? Nice. No, you have I mean, final?
0: look, I, I next, I'm going to invite you back later so that we can talk about uh, uh, foreign interests influencing the American public. Yes, and I don't mean Russia. Uh, so I'd definitely oh, like to talk okay. to you about that at
2: some point. We could talk about Marasha, but, but that, you know, but that would be a historical discussion about the Cold War. <laughs>
0: yes. <Yeah>. That's, that's <laughs> not the discussion to which I was referring, but yes. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I'm, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the me show too. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Seriously. it's It's great. And,
1: and David, we're going to put it in the description, but if you want to just tell people again where they can follow you on Twitter
2: sure davereaboi on twitter um and you have to promise me to somehow quantify or capture that segment where you're talking about wikipedia okay. and why it's important <laughs> and why you did it no because yeah. it would be if we could make a 2 minute video of that i think i think it would blow people's minds on twitter
0: on we right. promise to do that
2: on the yes. right you know what? You know what I mean. It, I mean, yeah. you don't have to clip it, but if you can make a new yeah. video or something, you say, "Hey, I was a leftist. This is what I did. Blah 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 blah. And and why did I do it? And you know? And because because we don't know. And 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 your experience as a you know as a part of that machinery is like people just don't know that. People just don't know that. And and I think it has led. It has you know it has led you to a place where you appreciate you know some of this stuff and and um, yeah read witness I'm so I'm curious to, I'm so I'm curious for a book cool. review
1: okay <clears throat> thank you David um, we Thanks would love a to pleasure. have you here
2: thank you absolutely bye-bye uh-huh.
3: The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please keep socially distant from these individuals. I have calculated a 98.8% chance that they are directly responsible for. Personalized underscore tragedy. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Here's a fun fact virtue signaling is 8.7 times easier than actually being virtuous, and over twice as effective on Twitter. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news.